Welcome to the Study Rooms podcast, a series of teachings from the Study Rooms class about the Bible and its effect on our daily lives. We hope it blesses you. Ready your hearts and minds for God to teach you. We consider ourselves leaders sometimes, but as believers, have we really considered what leading like Christ looks like? Let's join Eva Dan Yusuf in this three-part series on what does Christ's leadership look like. Today is called Christ-Centered Leadership. When we give our lives to Christ, we are called to leadership. Whether it is the leadership of ourselves, of two or 200, in whatever form, Leadership is wielding the ability one has to exercise some form of influence on another. So as believers, God has called us and given us the responsibility for leadership. In every area, God expects us to influence the world, to influence the culture, to influence other people, and to reconcile people back to him. So in in light of that, God has given all of us leadership. So when, as we get born again, we are already called to leadership. So leadership does not necessarily mean that you are in a particular position or you have a particular label or you are in a particular, you have like followers and all that. God has called us to leadership, whether it's leading yourself, whether it's leading your siblings, whether it's leading your family, whether it's leading in your unit or in your department, whether at work or at church, whether it's your compound, your neighborhood. In fact, wherever you are, that people listen to you and you have some form of influence over your lives, you have already taken upon yourself a leadership role. So some there are people who are like in an office, for instance, there's like the boss, so, and there's like the supervisor, and there's like all these people. But you just realize that people listen to you more. Like when you talk, people pay attention. People like your ideas. People like when you come up with, with like ideas and stuff. That is a leadership role that has been placed upon you, whether it was conferred on you, or it was silent, or it was unconscious. That is a leadership role. For some of us, it may be in our estate, in our compound. When you just say, oh yeah, oh guys, let's gather together or let's think about our water issues and everybody gathers together. You have been given a leadership role already, it's automatic. So wherever you have some form of influence over another person, you have entered into a leadership role. We are all going to read a story that is very, very important because um, this story is about um, disciples of Jesus and their mom, and their mom was hustling like a space for them. And immediately we can see how the world sees leadership, how there is some form of misconception when it comes to leadership, the way Jesus sees it. So like there's a world system of leadership. And in the world system of leadership, um, it's about dominance, it's about hierarchy, it's about who is on top, making decisions and backing down on all who is who are under the world system of leadership is it's um things happen for the guys up there and the guys up there have to make sure that what they need done it's done by the people who are under them but jesus christ came and he 
brought with him a different kind of leadership. He brought with him a leadership that completely flips the leadership of the world on its head. And instead of being the one on top and being the one who bats down on others, you are now the one below. You are the one supporting all those above you. So leadership in the world will be um, the leader at the head and the followers below. But leadership in Christ, that the leadership that Jesus Christ brought was the leader below holding up and encouraging and growing all the followers who are above, above him or her. So we are going to read a story. Can we all open our Bibles to Matthew 20? We are going to read from 20 to 26. Matthew 20 from 20 to 26. Since the wife of Zebedee approached Jesus with her sons, Jacob and John. So that's James and John in some, in some versions. Okay? And she knelt before him and asked him for a favor. I can imagine, imagine what that looked like. You know, you brought your sons to Jesus, you knelt down. Jesus, please, I need you to do me a favor. And he said to her, what is it that you want? And she answered, make a decree that these my sons will rule with you in your kingdom, one sitting on your right hand and one on your left. It is immediately clear, like what the woman was thinking. We don't know. The scripture did not tell us whether it was encouraged by her sons or she came up with the idea and strung them along. But it's immediately clear, like the mindset behind this kind of approach. You look at the words used. Please make a decree. That means she acknowledged that she was going to be the king. And only kings can make decrees. And she believed that if Jesus would make a decree now, it will stand in all, for all time. It says, make a decree that my sons will rule with you. I mean, she expected that a kingdom will come and Jesus will be the ruler. And how better, how much joy it will be if when he now gets his kingdom and he becomes the ruler, her sons are sitting on the right side and on the left. I'm sure that you can like get the picture of what's happening here. And she says, make a decree that these my sons will rule with you in your kingdom, one sitting on your right hand and one on your left. And Jesus replied, you do not know what you are asking. Jesus was trying to tell her that my leadership style is different and you do not know what you are asking. And he says, then Jesus turned to Jacob and John, looking them in the eyes. Jesus said to them, are you prepared to drink from the cup of suffering that I am about to drink? Are you able to endure the baptism of death that I am about to endure? And they answered him, yes, we are able. So it's just like, say, whatever it takes God for us to get this position, we are down, we are ready, right? And Jesus answered them, he said, you will indeed drink of the cup of suffering and be immersed into my death, Jesus told them. But to be the ones who will sit at the place of highest honor is not mine to decide. My father is the one who chooses them and prepares them, okay? Then the other 10 disciples were listening to all of this and a jealous anger rose amongst them against the two brothers. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, called them to his side and said, kings and those with great authority in this world rule oppressively over their subjects like tyrants. But this is not your calling. 
you will lead by a completely different model. The greatest one amongst you will live as one who is called to serve others because the greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one with the heart of a servant. For even the son of man did not come expecting to be served, to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone and to give his life in exchange for the salvation of many. So Jesus here clearly pointed out the Christ-centered leadership. In these verses that says, things and those with great authority in this world rule oppressively over their subjects like tyrants, but this is not your calling. You will live by a completely different model. The greatest one amongst you will live as one who is called to serve others because the greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one with the heart of his servant. For even the son of man did not come expecting to serve, to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone and to give his life in exchange for the salvation of many. Jesus has just plainly spelled out the Christ-centered leadership. If we're supposed to lead like Jesus, we have been called to serve. We have been called to serve others. That means if you are leading others and others are not growing, and others are not becoming better, and others are not entering into the fullness of all that God has called them to do, then we are not leading properly. We have come to exchange our lives for the salvation of many. Like Jesus Christ laid down his life, like physically, so that we can all be saved. But if we are going to if we are, if we are going to use Jesus as our example and follow him, that means we must also be willing to lay down our lives in service right, for the progress and salvation of others as well, says that um, there's no greater love than this, than a man who will lay down his life for his friend. So in our service and in our love, we should bear in mind that all we have been called to do is to serve others, is to ensure that other people go, to nurture them. When you are called to leadership, you are called to serve. The greatest amongst us is the one who is a servant. So one of the points that was very glaring in that passage of scripture that I read is their hearts, is the state of our hearts towards leadership. You can see clearly here that people, the disciples, these are disciples, though. we're not talking about strangers on the streets. These are disciples who have been with Jesus and their thought about leadership was already going to honor was going to authority, was going to rulership, as they have seen in the culture that's among, that was around them, okay? But Jesus immediately dealt with the state of the heart in leadership. And then we are going to use this to, we're going to break this down in a bit, okay? Leadership starts with the heart and not the skill, right? One, some of the greatest leaders that we have are leaders who have a heart of a servant. Leaders who have a heart for the job that they are doing. One of the greatest challenges we have in our country and with leadership is because we don't believe that our leaders have a heart for the country and its people. We believe that if you have a heart for the country and for your people, there are certain things you will not ignore. There are certain things you will not look past. There are certain levels you will go to. There are certain extremes and boundaries you will even break and cross if you actually genuinely have the heart for the people or the nation. Some of us that have been, that have been maybe um, project leaders, 
team leaders, unit leaders in different places, you know that when you are really passionate about a thing, you will really must stay awake all night ensuring that there's progress made on the particular job that you're doing because you have the heart for it. A leader will always spring forth based on the heart that that person has for the job, okay? So the posture of a leader in God's sight is a person who has a heart for service, service to God and then service to people. So we are going to read Mark chapter 10. This is Mark's um, own rendition about the, this happening. So like, you know, the story already, Matthew, this is Mark telling the same story, but in a different way. So let's read Mark chapter 10 from 41 to 45. Mark 10, 41 to 45. Now the other 10 disciples overheard this and they became angry and began to criticize Jacob and John. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Jesus gathered them all together and said to them, those recognized as rulers of the people and those who are in top leadership positions rule oppressively over their subjects. But this is not the example you are to follow. You are to live by a different model. If you want to be the greatest one, then live as one called to serve others. The path to promotion and prominence comes by having the heart of a born slave who serves everyone. For even the son of man did not come expecting to be served by everyone but to serve everyone and to give his life as a ransom price in exchange for the salvation of many. I really want to pick on the, the part in this scripture that says the path to promotion and prominence, the path to promotion and prominence comes by having the heart of a servant, of a bond slave. The concept of bond slave, according to scripture, right, is like in the Old, in the old Testament, right? the children of Israel had slaves. And after every 40 years, there was something called a jubilee. And after every 49 years, so every seven years was a Sabbath. And seven times seven was 49. So on the 50th year, right, it was called the year of jubilee. And in the year of jubilee, if you had a slave, you set that slave free. If you bought land, you return the land back to the owner. If, you are, or if somebody is owing you a debt, you forgive the debt. You know, so according to their culture in the time, the year of Jubilee was when everything like went back to factory setting, okay? So if you had slaves that time, you would let the slave go free. You give them their freedom, okay? But if a slave comes back and says that, you have been a good master to me, you have treated me well, I, I loved serving with you and I want to continue serving with you. That servant is indirectly saying that I want to become a bond slave to you. I want to be attached to you forever. I want to serve in your household forever. And then a certain sign will be given to that slave, right? And the slave will be allowed to return back to your household. And in the next 50 years, that slave will not be set free because the slave has become a bond servant to you. One of the examples of this kind of service, right, will be um, Eliezer, that was the servant of Abraham in scripture. 
you would realize that Eliezer served Abraham so much so that he became part of his household. And Abraham was even considering him to, considering to leave his inheritance for Eliezer if God did not come through on his promise to give him Isaac. Because he was saying, God, these promises that you are giving me, is it going to go to Eliezer, the servant, seeing that I have no child? So that's how Eliezer had become so close to Abraham and in his service. So close that it was Eliezer, Abraham asked to go and help look for a wife for Isaac. Okay? So now the first point I want to make is that a servant's heart must seek the good of others and abide in love. Let's read 1 Corinthians 13, 47. 1 Corinthians 13, 47 says, If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, I'm reading the Amplified Version, but do not have love. It does me no good at all. Love endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful and is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag and is not proud or arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not provoked, not overly sensitive and easily angered. It does not take into account a wrong endured. It does not rejoice at injustice. It rejoices with the truth when right and truth prevail. Love bears all things, regardless of what comes. It believes all things, looking for the best in each one. And it hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times. It endures all things with, without weakening. So as a true leader, we have to imbibe the precept of love according to 1 Corinthians 13. Love endures all things. You are not easily irritated. If your heart is truly for someone, whenever they are going amiss, your heart is supposed to break towards them and your heart is supposed to seek, how do I reconcile this person back to God? And how do I reconcile this person back to the purpose that God has called them for? It doesn't matter whether it's in a Christian setting or not, but our heart towards other people must be must seek to serve them so that they are always restored and they are in the place where God needs them to be. You are not, your heart is not truly in service if, as a leader, people say things that offend you easily. I'm not saying that we don't get hurt. I'm not saying that when that people's words are not painful. There are people who wield their words like swords. And when they release those words, they pierce deeply into our hearts and souls. But like love does not seek to retaliate. Love does not seek to pay back. Love does not keep a record of wrong. Like even though we are hurt, love seeks to get over our offense as quickly as possible so that we can be used by God to provide healing and restoration for the other person. Right, First Corinthians thirteen that speaks about love. Right, is not an easy. Is not a, is not a walk in the park. God is not saying that First Corinthians thirteen is is like if you determine in your heart that this is what you want, it automatically becomes everything you are. It's hard, and that's why God is the only one that can love through us. But one of the qualities of a good leader, of a healthy leader, is one who loves according to how God wants us to love. And Jesus said to his disciples in John, a new commandment I give to you, a new commandment I leave to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And in Ephesians, in Ephesians, Paul was speaking to the church and says, husbands, love your wives 
as Christ has loved in the church, laying down his life for her. So when you take that scripture and you put it in light of what John Jesus was saying to his disciples to love one another as he has loved us. And he, Jesus also says that no greater love than this, than a man to lay down his life for his friend. That means when we are called to a position of leadership, it is a position where we are even willing to lay down our lives for the progress of other people, whether figuratively or literally. We are getting to a point where God is working on our hearts so much so that we are willing to lay down our lives for the sake of the growth of another person. We hope this class has been a blessing to you. There's so much more we have on this channel and we know it'll bless you. New podcasts will be up every week. Don't forget to subscribe to get notified when new podcasts are uploaded. Thank you for joining the study room.